Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Awareness campaigns over the years have built a number of resources to fight human trafficking that affects Native Americans at a disproportionate rate. Those include law enforcement task forces, policy research groups, and even national legislation. January is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month, and we'll talk more with Native experts about efforts for turning around the troubling statistics for Native victims of trafficking around the country. That conversation starts after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A Navajo Council delegate has stepped down from his seat to take up a new position with the state of New Mexico as Deputy Secretary of Indian Affairs. Clark Adamitis has more. Seth Damon bid farewell to the Navajo Nation Council. My family and I share deep appreciation uh, for the communities I had the privilege of representing over the years. And thank you for standing with me during positive and very oftentimes difficult times. Damon is accepting a new position in New Mexico's Department of Indian Affairs, a department that recently replaced a controversial cabinet secretary and that has been criticized for its response in the missing and murdered indigenous relatives crisis. Eugenia Charles Newton is a Navajo Nation council member who co-sponsored a number of bills with Seth Damon. Charles Newton spoke to council on Seth Damon's last day. Because we do really give millions of dollars back to the state of New Mexico who are trying to help us um, to, uh, with water projects, with chapter projects, with road projects. And because of the miscommunication that happens between the state government and the Navajo Nation, I think that Speaker Damon is a perfect um, fit to try to fix that issue. The Speaker of the Navajo Nation Council says that an interim council member will be appointed to fill Damon's vacant seat. A special election will be held to permanently fill the seat. I'm Clark Adamitis. The Shunak tribe of Kodiak, Alaska, in collaboration with the Alutic Museum, have released a textbook to help revitalize an endangered Alaska native language. KMXT's Davis Hovey reports. A new Aleutic language textbook released last month focuses on the Koniak dialect, although it's open to anyone who wants to learn Aleutic. Derek Chaya works at the Aleutic Museum and is one of the co-authors. He says many Aleutic speakers were consulted to create this textbook. Whenever we're doing any language, like producing any language materials, uh, we work as much as we can with language speakers who live here in Kodiak. Uh, over the past few years, that's gotten harder and harder as, as speakers have passed on. Chaya started his language journey with nearly no knowledge of Alutic, having rarely heard it spoken when he was growing up. Now he is an advanced speaker who still considers himself a language learner. He says this textbook, in conjunction with all the other online language resources, can help revitalize the endangered Alaska native language. But there are still challenges that exist for a beginner to become fluent in Alutic. I think the hardest uh, part of learning the language is like finding time to like use it with somebody because um, language learning for a lot of people is quite a personal journey and not everybody has the opportunity to have other people around them who are also learning at the same time or at the same rate. With elders and fluent Alutic speakers dying off, there is a need for more speaker teachers to help the next generation achieve proficiency in their second language. That's where Peggy Azuyak comes in. 
She's teaching Aleutic language classes to young adults at the Kodiak College under the University of Alaska Anchorage. I'm using it right now in our Aleutic 102 class. This is the first semester I'm, I'm able to use it with students. The new Aleutic language textbook features 15 chapters, including sections on numbers and math, and is targeted towards high school and college-age students. Several high school students have been um, interested in going through either the Kodiak High School or the Kodiak College courses and are involved with teaching the language in their home communities. Anyone who wants to learn to speak Alutic can access the Alutic Language textbook online for free at aluticlanguage.org. Reporting in Kodiak, I'm Davis Hovey. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. A historical trauma master class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 1st at freedomlodge.org, who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. With so many campaigns to raise awareness about human trafficking, our guests today say most people still don't know the signs in their own communities. The risk factors for victims include poverty, a history of abuse, and a lack of supervision in the home. Those factors also coincide with many Native populations in both urban and rural settings. On a regular basis, officials form task forces or law enforcement connections, all with the goal of turning around troubling statistics. Today, we'll hear from Native experts and educators on the ground about which of these efforts are paying off and what still needs to be done to end human trafficking for Native Americans. January is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. We also want to hear from you. Tell us what's being done in your city or tribal community to make a difference. Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also leave a comment on our website or social media pages like Facebook or Instagram. Speaking with us from St. Paul, Minnesota, is Nicole Matthews. She is the Executive Director for Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. She is White Earth Band of Ojibwe. Hi, Nicole. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. In the Appalachian Mountains in central Pennsylvania, we have Rebecca Baylog. She is the Training and Technical Assistance Program Development Coordinator for Mending the Sacred Hoop. She is Oglala Lakota, Mohawk, and Romani. Hello, Rebecca. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, hey. I'm Bait the Wash Day. Good day. Yep. Good day to you as well. And joining us from St. Paul, Minnesota, is Bonnie Claremont. She's a victim advocacy specialist for the Tribal Law and Policy Institute. She is Ho-Chunk. Welcome to the show, Bonnie. 
Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you as well as our other guests on the line. Let's talk first about strategies and resources to fight human trafficking. Nicole, what new tools currently show the most promise? You know, I think, um, and I don't know that it's necessarily new tools, but I think all tools that are based in our cultural teachings and our cultural values and that are, um, you know, by our our communities and for our communities are the ones that, that will work best. And, you know, when we've talked to survivors, the the programs and the services that they have always found the most helpful um, have been ones that are culturally based. And and it's exciting to see more and more of our communities that are building programs to address trafficking um, in our communities, whether it's an urban program or um, a reservation-based program. Nicole, what are the latest trends with human or sex trafficking? You know, I think we are seeing a lot from, um, you know, that has happened since the pandemic. Um, we are seeing, of course, you know, this is not necessarily new, but we're seeing a shift in what um, homelessness looks like. We're seeing a lot more homeless encampments around the country, and we are seeing trafficking that happens in and around those um, homeless encampments. And, and not to, um, you know, any fault of the people who are trying to organize safe homeless encampments, but it is a, a place where traffickers know there are vulnerable people. And so they are, you know, looking for those vulnerable um, people in those encampments and, and oftentimes they're being exploited. I think we are also seeing, you know, across the nation in all communities, um, an increase in poverty, like I think the the cost of living has increased, but our salaries are not increasing at the same rate. And um, so we are seeing a lot of people that are experiencing homelessness or um, are unable. You know, we're seeing people that are homeless that are in these encampments that have a job and some have two jobs, but are not able to afford housing. So we're seeing a rise in housing. Um, and we know our housing costs, and so we know that these risk factors really put people in danger. Um, when we did research years ago on women who were used in prostitution and trafficking, 98% of the women that we interviewed were currently or previously homeless. So if we look at the rise in homelessness and poverty due to um, COVID and um, the economic conditions that our communities are in, then we see that there's an, also an increase in actors for being exploited. Nicole, what was it about the pandemic that um, caused an increase in human trafficking? Because I think a lot of folks would think something like the pandemic, people were home on lockdown, it would actually maybe um, ameliorate the trafficking problem, but apparently not. Well, you know, I think we have to look at the, um, some people were locked at, in homes with people who were causing harm to them, who were abusing them. Um, we have to also remember that, you know, many people didn't have jobs um, or were on, um, you know, found themselves not able to work. We look at a lot of people in the service industry, you know, people who worked in restaurants and other things that were not able to work. Um, and then we look at the way that everything slowed down, that production slowed down, 
drove up the cost for many of the goods and services that we use. And so coming back into the workforce, coming back, you know, post-COVID, which is weird to say because COVID rates are on the rise, um, we are seeing people can't afford the things that they could afford before. People are having, they're struggling to afford housing. They're struggling to afford groceries. I mean, when I go to get groceries now, like it's, your money just doesn't go as far. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people are are um, not as financially, you know, they're doing not, not great economically. And Nicole, in Native communities, how big is the trafficking problem right now? I think it's a bigger issue than we think. And, it, you know, I think people, um, you know, we talk a lot about the issue of our missing and murdered relatives. And many of our relatives who have gone missing, um, sometimes there's been a connection with trafficking. And, you know, when we've talked to women who were used in trafficking, many of them knew a woman that they had never seen nor heard from again. And so we know that there's a connection, but it's the, it's the thing that we haven't talked a lot about. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we only talked about trafficking as if it happened in another country to other um, to other people, but we never talked about what was happening in our backyard. And I think in Indian country, we have, you know, the impact of colonization, which, you know, um, our communities are still dealing with healing from, um, you know, the impact of colonization and what it has done to our families and to our communities. And you add trauma, poverty, homelessness, all the things on top of that. And, um, and the fact that we also have, you know, jurisdictional challenges on tribal lands in, in addressing some of these. So mm-hmm. has really caused, um, you know, the, the perfect, you know, fertile soil for, for trafficking to occur in our community. Nicole, you talk about 10 years ago in this perception that, oh, that's something, that's a problem in other countries. And I think a lot of folks, when they hear the word trafficking, they think of human trafficking, they immediately think of like those taken movies, right? Where these exotic, very sophisticated um, syndicates and these organized crime rings and everything like that. But could you tell us, I mean, with your research and and the work that you've done, how does it start for someone, say a, a native person, maybe in a tribal community, where do they first get caught up? I mean, it happened. There's a lot of stories. Um, you know, I can share some that we heard. You know, one woman um, told a story about when she was 15 years old that she was sexually assaulted by four men and went home and told her parents. And her parents blamed her and said, well, if you hadn't been out, you know, um, running the streets, that went to happen to you. And they kicked her out. And so she was homeless um, and didn't have anywhere to stay and didn't have any friends that she could stay with and was on the streets for maybe two hours before someone picked her up to purchase her for sex. And, um, and even after that, who's renting a hotel room to a 15-year-old? So she still had nowhere to go. And we've heard stories of, you know, a 19-year-old who's, mother was abused by her partner and had to flee and go to a domestic violence shelter. But the domestic, you know, our families live in multi-generational homes and the daughter was 19 and the 
um, the battered women's shelter did not allow her adult daughter to come with her. And so the 19-year-old ended up being homeless. Her friend took her to, her, to a party, and there was a, a pimp at the party who ended up trafficking her. So those are just two stories. Um, you know, I also talked to a woman who was 60 years old and raising her grandkids and had no other means of survival um, and and had a few clients that she, you know, still had because she needed to be able to to feed her grandkids and to to take care of her family. So I think there's a lot of ways that it happens. And, you know, there's no there's no one way. I think, you know, another story we heard is a woman who um, had a terrible accident and who went to, you know, a doctor and they medicated her and she became addicted to, um, to pills and ended up, you know, being trafficked to support a drug addiction. So, so we hear there's a lot of, a lot of avenues um, that make someone vulnerable to being used in that way. Sounds like, Nicole, a uh, tough conversation today here on Native America Calling, but an important one. We're talking about human trafficking, and January is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Phone lines are open if you would like to call in, if you have any insights or any questions, any comments with regard to our show today. Our number at the studio, 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call. We'll put you on the air. Among other comforts, cold months are a good reason to enjoy soup. There are a number of recipes for traditional native soup and some new ones with traditional ingredients. Plus, we'll find out the importance of a sharp kitchen knife and highlight three native food businesses up for a major culinary award. Join Andy Murphy tomorrow for our regular food feature, The Menu, on Native America Calling. Pursuing a degree in higher education is attainable, and with a scholarship from Native Forward Scholars Fund, it is more affordable. From aerospace to veterinary medicine, as the largest direct scholarship provider to Native students in the U.S., Native Forward has empowered over 22,000 students from over 500 tribes in all 50 states in pursuit of their undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees. Info and applications at nativeforward.org who support this show. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. We're talking about the ongoing problem of human trafficking. How does your community address the issue? Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. Also, anyone with information about a potential human trafficking situation or a person who may be experiencing human trafficking can t contact the FBI, local law enforcement, or the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888 or text 233-733. We've put that number on our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com. Our first guest, Nicole Matthews, is the Executive Director for Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. And Nicole, um, you shared some anecdotal observations about human trafficking before the show, uh, young people, older folks, uh, 
What is the research like, though, when it comes to Native Americans caught up in trafficking? Do we have numbers? You know, we have very few numbers. Like, um, you know, our research, which is over a decade old already, is, um, you know, the only research of its kind that really talked to survivors about their needs. Um, and it's it's hard. People aren't collecting a lot of data on who it's happening to. And, you know, we do have um, some urban Indian programs around the country now that are working with um, our relatives in urban settings, but there's only five of them. So it's hard to pull the data because, you know, like we see with the missing and murdered issue, we're seeing the same thing is that people either aren't collecting the data, um, they don't collect race data at all, or they're um, not collecting it, like they're deciding for us what racial or ethnic group we belong to, right? And sometimes mm -hmm. they're doing that by sight. And so we get misclassified. Um, so I think the numbers, the numbers are hard. All right. You also mentioned jurisdictional challenges, and there have been some efforts to improve those in recent years. Have you seen any improvements? I think, you know, what's really exciting is, like, years ago when the Tribal Law and Order Act um, came about, like, it was only to address domestic violence. You know, and many of us are were like, hey, that's great, and what about sexual assault? What about sex trafficking? Um, and we now have those included under the special um, criminal jurisdiction, you know, for tribes. So they are, you know, just as of last year. So we have tribes who are now who are who've put it into their codes, who are able, who are ready to um, start tackling these crimes. And we are seeing, you know, more tribes that are addressing that and are are starting to make these arrests and. Um, and, you know, that's really exciting, and I hope we see more. But we have, you know, far more tribes than we have, you know, of the tribes who are actually implementing. And um, so hopefully we get to a place where all tribes um, or certainly, you know, a significant number of our tribes are able to exercise that criminal jurisdiction. But then we also need the resources to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, along with doing that, we have to have all the, the money for jails and, and where to put people, and um, we have to have all the, the infrastructure, which takes time. Let's take our first caller, Chanupa, listening on Keeley Radio in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa. Oh, we'll go back to Chanupa. Looks like we don't have Chanupa on the line just yet. I'm going to go ahead and bring in our next guest now, Rebecca Baylog, Training and Technical Assistance Program Development Coordinator for Mending the Sacred Hoop. And Rebecca, we just heard uh, from Nicole. She's up in the Twin Cities in, in Minnesota. Uh, what about other parts of the country? Where do we see currently the biggest problems with human trafficking and Native people? Thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. Yeah, um... I was just um, in Cherokee with Nicole Matthews, actually. We were both down in Cherokee, North Carolina, with the tribe. And I did share, um, I just actually trained the casino security folks. Uh, the biggest ground zero in Indian country are the 17 states and 81 tribes on the East Coast. 
I-95 on the East Coast that goes from Maine at the Canadian border down to Florida. That is ground zero. And uh, I know we're all on an audio radio show, so there's not a lot of opportunity for visual uh, map and um, visual aids, but the I-95 corridor has um, a huge impact on human trafficking in Indian country um, mm -hmm. because of the major cities and um, where cartels and the organized crime racket of human trafficking they're fleeing to the reservations for jurisdictional issues that Nicole, Nicole talked about. Um, they're hiding in safe houses while they're transporting through the human trafficking pipeline of I-95. Rebecca, you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, a training you did for the casino in Cherokee, North Carolina. Do you see any correlation between casinos and, and the human trafficking issue, specifically native casinos in tribal communities? You know, absolutely, and I don't want to pinpoint to uh, tribal casinos because it's all casinos, and it's truck stops, and it's the Indian Finals Rodeo, and it's the NFL, and it's the Super Bowl, and it's baseball, basketball, the NBA, anywhere there's a huge amount of people coming into a certain designated spot, including Las Vegas, right, um, that human traffickers, it's called a circuit. And they, much like um, our professional lives, we map out our work for the year. We um, choose the dates to do a conference or a training. Human traffickers, it is a coordinated business with a business model. So the circuit is what the language is on the street. And they map out um, where the most profitable places to go are um, on that circuit. So, yeah, it's not just tribal casinos, but mm -hmm. it includes them, if that makes sense. And it sounds like these folks uh, are very well organized, unfortunately, and uh, they really uh, know how to, to stake uh, certain communities and certain people. Rebecca, earlier we heard Nicole, and she shared a few stories uh, of some survivors that she knows and has worked with. What have you heard from survivors uh, in your work? grateful you asked that because the survivor stories are is where it's at that's where we learn how to become better advocates and emerging issues that are going on for example there and i'm going to keep confidentiality so there is a mother in a tribe outside las vegas and i was doing training and technical assistance at the time with milfac and a mother through the pipeline or gossip moccasin trail, for lack of a better word, uh, reached out to me because I was doing sex trafficking work. And uh, because of COVID, sheltering in place was happening. Kids were not in school. Um, the kids were um, just on the rest. They were bored. They were going to school online. They didn't have any responsibilities throughout their day. And traffickers took that as a huge opportunity. And that's what traffickers are. They look for, for vulnerable opportunities online reached out loved bombed baby 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 um, you're so pretty you should hang out with me you're bored right we're going to send a van to come pick you up in this tribe near las vegas to be trafficked okay um unfortunately it wasn't just one 13 year old girl it wasn't they uh, loved bombed her so heavy please recruit all the other teenage girls you can get your friends baby 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 we're gonna party in the city 
that van showed up and picked up over a dozen kids from a res, drove them to Vegas, and trafficked them. So I was talking to the mother who was searching for her child. Three months later, the child ended up coming back home with new sneakers, as the trafficker promised, with $80 in her pocket, who had been trafficked and raped um, and pregnant. So they, you know, these jurisdictional issues and hunting the res, I think there's a documentary called Hunting the Res or Rape on the Reservation. Traffickers know. You've just described, I think, just about every parent's worst nightmare. And I'm thinking right now of somebody listening to the show and they're probably really concerned. What can a family member do to prevent an occurrence like what you've just described? Thank you. Because that's capacity building, right? We want to save our children. At the end of the day, we know that trafficking, because of the pandemic, stopped being on the street and went online. It just went online. So for parents, I would say monitor the people contacting your children. The reservations are an opportunity because of jurisdiction, and traffickers know that. So they are reaching out online to groom and entice and love bomb and hunt the res for vulnerable people. So online monitoring, I think, is the best tool that we could say in advocacy today. Protect your children online. Now, you use this term love bomb. Does that just mean showering somebody with compliments and making Mm -hmm. promises that there's going to be this wonderful life for them somewhere? Yes. If someone has an, an unfortunate child abuse, neglect, lack of food, maybe the house is freezing because there's no money for um, heating fuel, all the way to you're so pretty. I My cousin is connected to the modeling industry, or you're an aspiring rapper. I know my second cousin has is uh, a producer. Love bombing comes in every shape and size, whether it's a pack of ramen noodles for a homeless teen runaway on the street, all the way to Ford Modeling Agency. The love bombing comes in heavy and thick, and they look for the vulnerable to love okay. bomb them into it. Mm-hmm. These these sound like just classic persuasion tactics in, in some yep. ways that are in, designed to, to appeal to people's emotions. So, Rebecca, earlier we heard Nicole say that uh, in her experience, the best solutions are culturally based. What are you seeing? What are some effective ways or methods that are are seeming to make a difference in making an an impact on this apparently increasing problem throughout Indian country? Thank you for that. And I'm smiling because I just spent time with the North Carolina Cherokee tribe with a casino security team for their continuing education to end trafficking in casinos. And The collaboration is the key. Collaboration between talking to uh, students age appropriate from elementary to high school, advocates working with the sheriff's department, prosecutors, um, child visitation monitors, child welfare workers, attorneys, collaboration, weaving a basket so tight that it's waterproof in a tribal community is how we're going to end this thing. Building bridges and collaborating is the answer. Um, And I want to give a shout out to um, the Cherokee Nation because that's what they're doing. And it's working. All right. 
collaboration, advocates, uh, child visitation. Rebecca, what about just the general public? What about somebody? Is there any training or any resources available just for regular people like me and anybody else Mm -hmm. listening to the show to recognize an instance of trafficking in their community and what to do about it? That, yes, uh, it, doing those trainings, having tribal leadership, tribal councils, having advocates brought into the room, changing the bylaws of what trafficking is in Indian country, and keeping that conversation going. Because one thing traffickers know, they're adapting. They'll adapt around a pandemic. They'll adapt adapt around environmental issues. We need to constantly be talking about emerging issues to hit them where it hurts, which is their pocket, and protecting our children. And what do we know? Conversation. All right. And what do we know, Nicole, uh, about perhaps these alleged offenders? I mean, earlier there was a little bit of discussion about cartels and these large syndicates. Um, Who are these people that are coming into tribal communities and uh, and taking our people? Was that for Rebecca or for Nicole? Uh, I'm sorry, that'd be for Rebecca. I'm sorry. Oh, so sorry. Could you repeat that, please? Yeah, who's who are these offenders? Who are these people who are coming in and stealing our people? What do we know about them, uh, it, more specifically? We know that they can be an intimate partner who, because of the pandemic, because of money, because trying to be a high roller in their community, it could just be Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo who's going to traffic their partner for coin, paper, or money. All the way to Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell that are billionaires running a racket. It's it's a really hard question to answer because it runs the gamut, unfortunately. Let's bring Bonnie into the fold now. Bonnie Claremont, victim advocacy specialist for the Tribal Law and Policy Institute. She is also like Nicole, in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And Bonnie, thank you again for joining the show. And what efforts are you seeing tribes undertaking to combat human trafficking? We heard a little bit from Rebecca already, but what are you seeing? Yes, thank you. Um, I have the opportunity and uh, the privilege, I guess you say, to travel across Indian country and um, on a variety of issues, not just trafficking, but, you know, there's so much intersectionality between trafficking and a lot of the issues that, you know, we're working on, um, as, you know, as Nicole and both Rebecca know. So, but in, in doing, even in discussing other, other issues such as domestic violence and child abuse and neglect um, and, sexual assault and stalking, these issues surface, right? So even when we're there training and providing technical assistance on other issues, some part of the trafficking comes up along with the issue of um, um, MMIWR, which is our relatives that are being, that are missing. Um, So, you know, tribes are, you know, and I, I know, I want to say, I hate to make sort of blanket statements because there's some tribes that are so under-resourced and really want, you know, there's advocates working on the ground that know there's a problem, but really working with their tribal leadership and other service providers and 
other jurisdictions to come on board is really, you know, it takes time to establish those kind of relationships in um, in tribal communities that are under-resourced where you only have one, maybe one or two advocates. And it's, uh, you know, I might be biased, but I think it's the advocates who really are the movers and shakers. So, you know, I just, I can't say enough that we need a lot more resources and funding and tribal leaders to um, leverage any kind of, you know, resources to increase those working on the ground with these issues, because like I said, there's a lot of intersectionality. But I see that a lot of communities are increasing their awareness and getting education out in all uh, sectors of their community, which I think is great. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will talk more about human trafficking and the risks that we face in Native communities 1-800-996-2848 is the number to call in with questions and comments. Looking for custom branded apparel? You'll find t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and more at nativescreenprinting.com where all apparel is hand printed on brands you choose, including Gildan, Softstyle, and Hanes. Native Screen Printing works with indigenous artists who can tell your stories with their art, which can be custom printed or embroidered. Need design ideas? Click the t-shirt design gallery at nativescreenprinting.com where shipping is always free. nativescreenprinting.com or call 405-310-9003. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and there is still time to join this conversation about trafficking in Native communities. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Let's go back to the phones now. Chanupa, listening on Keeley in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa, are you there? Hey, thank you for having me, and I apologize for that airplane. Every time they come in, they cut our phone space off real quick. But let me uh, make a a real uh, strong comment to all three of these ladies. You know, universities and um, educational fields need to start implementing strong education about this. Um, A year and a half ago, actually two years now in in standing, Max Guerrera, a grandfather on the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation in Reindeer, had his grandkids removed from them illegally. Somebody kidnapped them and trafficked them across the next county, okay? So he went to every resource, even the dang tribal police. So he came to the Stronghold Warrior Society of Pine Ridge. We took off a night before, spent the night at his house, collaborated with him, and the next day, Chanupa and his men brought those two little girls home. One was 11, and the other one was 14. Our people need to tighten the nooses up. Laws is not going to do it. Pine Ridge is in jeopardy as it is. But if we have to take laws in hand as warrior societies, a honey, we stood up for everybody, and mainly our children. I just came from a meeting in... um the Cheyenne River Indian Reservation in Eagle Butte, where I protected kids and sang for them. So thanks for this good topic about this, because it's still happening today. Every second, every moment, every minute, every chance the sun comes up in the east and goes down in the west. Some of tribal, our members, our members are even doing it. So Mm -hmm. it works both ways. And continue topics like this, Sean, and I'll do my part 
to continue to serve you in Indian country. Hokahe, and thank you women for addressing this. Hokahe from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Hokahe, appreciate it. Chanupa, another good call from Chanupa, sharing wisdom and words from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. And uh, Bonnie, let's talk a little bit more about the communities that are impacted and, and what you see. And, and you've been doing this work for a long time, many years. How have you seen these issues with trafficking evolve since when you first got started? Yes. Um, you know, there's. I, I firmly believe there's always been trafficking since day one, since, uh, you know, the explorers set foot on our, on our Turtle Island. And, you know, it's, it's, gone by different names and um, kind of kept under cover and difficult to talk about when everyone knows this is happening. And we come through all the different eras, you know, especially with things like, uh, you know, laws like um, relocation, where a lot of our Indian people were uh, moved into urban areas, and many of them were single parent families that soon ran out of the money they were given to uh, start a, a new life in the urban area. You know, that's that's another example where trafficking happened because, you know, the single parents had to feed their families. So we've seen a lot of this happening, especially back in boarding schools. And all of the, you know, the federal laws and the Supreme Court rulings have really impacted tribes and in the meantime, you know, we, the, these problems continue to flourish, continue to happen in our communities. And our women and children were prime targets. You know, our Native women were seen as, you know, basically objects, sex objects. And you can buy and sell, you know, that that started from day one and mm -hmm. still continues. So whatever name you want to give it, you know, whether it's there's a there's a really fine line between trafficking and prostitution, right? And a lot of our our children are being uh, trafficked. You know, if they're if they're uh, charged, heaven forbid that they're charged with prostitution, basically they're victimized. They're seen. They should be seen as victimized, and at, by trafficking because essentially that's what it is for all intents and purposes. If they're underage, it's not it's not prostitution by consent, right? So it it comes in so many different forms and happening in our own homes in our in you know in our communities you know and i i was on uh doing a training and someone said yeah it's happening right next door to me and this little uh their housing area their tribal housing area was just you, uh, you know you could see it from where we were gathered for the training and she said yeah it's happening right next door to me and and we can't you know it's hard to uh to intervene because you're not supposed to get involved and, you know, um, get be nosy and get involved. And yet that's exactly what we need is for people to, you know, be the eyes and ears in the community and not be afraid to report anything that seems suspicious. So, and I've seen this, you know, starting to happen in communities, which I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, there are the, the aunties and the grandmas out there who are, you know, being vigilant over their their grandchildren or their nieces and nephews and so forth. Like Nicole was saying, there's, you know, multi-generational uh, households. So um, that opportunity is there for us to, to be a little more vigilant over our children in particular, especially those that go into um, foster homes where we see a high influx of trafficking happening when our kids 
go on the run, you know, and they become mm-hmm. even more vulnerable to trafficking. Bonnie, I think one of the reasons this is such a hard conversation and, and issues like this are just so tough to kind of wrap our minds around is that, like you mentioned, some of these crimes have been occurring for centuries and it's like they're almost impossible to stamp out. It's like roaches. You know, these people just keep coming back and coming back and you take one person out and five more come in. And um, how do you deal with that? I mean, just emotionally doing this type of work for all these years and dealing with survivors and dealing with communities and then um, just having to to work and, and make efforts at a, at a problem that's that's so immense and so large and just seems like in some ways it's just like almost impossible to stop. Yeah, it you know, I, I believe it takes a community. It takes, you know, um, people who are really vested and concerned about their communities, the safety of their communities, the safety of their children, the safety of their relatives, and to be able to come together and invite others to the table, other jurisdictions, and form these committees, whether they're little ad hoc committees, people gathering around those kitchen tables and having dialogue, having, you know, coffee and saying, this is a problem, um, you know, bringing in their their schools, bringing in their law enforcement to, you know, put the, the issues on the table and addressing it to their tribal leadership. You know, this is, it's, it's a sovereignty issue, right? We have tribal lands that need to be protected from, you know, outside influence and, you know, and, but yet at the same time, like Chinook was saying, it can happen right in, you know, in our communities and the perpetrator could be one of our own, you know, relatives. So it's kind of like there has to be that kind of awareness um, created. So people aren't just thinking it's people that's coming from the outside, Um, Because it does definitely, yes, it does. We have people who are coming into our tribal lands to the casinos and like Rebecca was saying, but we also have to consider the fact that it can happen right next door or it can happen in our schools. So all of the places where it can happen, it's, it's important for us to pull people together and create that kind of awareness and say, what, what does our community need? You know, I when I travel, I visit little communities, and I think about those communities just so isolated, and you know, out either up in a mountain or out in the desert. You know, there there's trafficking happening there. You know, they may not have a casino nearby, but there's still trafficking happening there that needs to be addressed um, to the extent that it's happening. You know, right with resources, with uh, you know exercising the laws, whether it's tribal laws that they uh, that they develop, because every tribe needs that. That's part of, you know, the sovereignty issues that, you know, tribes need to d- develop strong laws about trafficking and what's going to happen to to uh, people that um, commit those crimes. Well, Bonnie, speaking of sovereignty, we had one person call into the show, and uh, they're not able to come on the air, but they did ask a question, and uh, or they made a comment what about using sovereignty to search every single vehicle going across every reservation? What's your thought on that? I would imagine that comes down to, to resources and manpower that would provide the capacity to have that kind of oversight. What's your thought? You know, anything that's going to increase safety, I'm, I'm in favor of. Um, and yes, there's resources that, are, that would be needed. Um, I would, you know, I would really 
encourage communities to look at, you know, what what's going to be the sacrifice, because if you get one thing, you have to sacrifice another, right? And mm-hmm. like I'm saying, you know, we have a need for, um, you know, even search parties, because like I said, the intersectionality between the MMIW problem and trafficking is, is huge. So it's like, um, you know, we need we still need more resources to help find our relatives that are missing. We don't have enough. When we report someone missing, it's kind of like, oh, no, they'll return. You know, they're they're just probably out having a good time. And and yet oftentimes, you know, they are being trafficked. So we need resources to locate our relatives that go missing. And, you know, that's not often the case. Um, and so if we, we receive resources to start these, you know, search stations, whatever you call them, you know, I, I get concerned about, you know, that um, what are we going to give up in for that? But I think it's up to, like we say, sovereignty, it's up to each tribal community. Um, I would say to make sure that, you know, people are present that see the problem as it is in that community to see whether or not those kind of um, search stations would be um, helpful in their communities. And again, it would take cross-jurisdictional cooperation because oftentimes, you know, other jurisdictions get a little touchy about about those mm-hmm. things. Right, right. Thanks, Bonnie. Nicole, I want to go back to you. And if you could talk more a little bit about the connection between sex trafficking and domestic violence. Well, we know that, um, you know, many of our many of the women who have been murdered have been murdered by a partner. Um, and so we know that there's, you know, a really, um, large connection. And we also know that with domestic violence, we know that there are, um, you know, many husbands, boyfriends that are pimping their, their partners. And, you know, when we, when we did the research, um, one of the things that we learned is most people were not using the term pimp or trafficker. In fact, many women came in and said, I don't even know if I belong here, if I should be at this, like, I don't know if this fits. And then when we started to talk to them, they were calling them their boyfriend or their partner. Um, and some and some maybe even married because you could certainly, you know, do Google, Google searches on, um, you know, people who are, who are trafficking their wives and or who are taking pictures and posting them of, of her, um, you know, unknowingly to her. And, and then the connection to, um, to further violence. And so, you know, I think, I think there is a connection. And I think pimps and traffickers are, are very good at being using language that is appealing. Um, they are grooming victims. They are grooming, like Rebecca talked about, they are grooming young girls um, with all of these dreams and, and grooming people that um, think they are entering into this wonderful relationship that's going to give them all these things and instead um, they end up being being trafficked and you know we have we have many um, kids who are you know taken out of their homes you know we don't have forced removal into boarding schools anymore but we have some of the highest out-of-home placement rates and many many of our kids um, have experienced violence in them in those homes and end up running and being on the streets and are vulnerable to um, to people who are giving them these, you know, these dreams and who are grooming them in these ways and promising them all these wonderful things that never really come 
um, to fruition. Nicole, any resources you can share today for our listeners just uh, to provide a little more education? Uh, any solutions possible? Absolutely. I think we need to look at, you know, thank you to Chanupa who called in who talked about some of their community efforts because I think we need, um, you know, like, and like Bonnie was saying, we need more community engagement and more community-wide efforts. Um, you know, the connection to our missing and murdered Indigenous relatives is really big. We have a really large um, public awareness um, march and rally event on February 14th in Minneapolis. So everyone, you know, in the area is welcome to attend. We also have a national sex trafficking in Indian country in Alaska um, conference, a national conference that is in April, April 9th through the 11th in San Francisco. We're just waiting for final approval. Um, but if people are interested, the website is musactraffickingconference.com. Um, and we will be having, you know, many workshops. We have pre-conference institutes for law enforcement and for advocacy to really help our communities be able to have the tools they need to address this issue in their communities and to do it in a way that makes sense with all the cultural values and, um, and teachings that, um, that are so important for, for our communities. Nicole Matthews, I, I want to thank you along with Rebecca Baylog and Bonnie Claremont for coming on the show today and sharing resources and insights and information regarding human trafficking. And folks, remember, January is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Please join us here on Native America Calling again tomorrow for our regular monthly food feature, The Menu, hosted by senior producer Andy Murphy. I'm Sean Spruce. We'll talk again soon. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D dot com. Happy New Year. Now is a great time to start the new habit that will keep you healthy. Eat right, get plenty of exercise, enough sleep are the key to health lifestyle. Talk with your health care provider about change you can make to the new year be on your best side. For more information, contact your Indian health care provider or visit healthcare.gov. A message from a Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.